Welcome to my world. Welcome to Friday. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, August 4th. We are here live. We've got a lot going on today. Jump in and join us anytime. I'm going to open the phone lines right now. The first hour is a free-for-all. We have no guests, no theme, anything goes. I have a couple things I'll talk about while we're waiting for some calls here, so jump right in. Uh, Second hour, I will be joined by Henry Albert. Uh, Joel is busy peddling freight today, but we have a new fuel mileage rock star joining us. Alec will be with us today, so we'll introduce him in the second hour. In the third hour, we'll head on over to Twitter. Uh, It's not Twitter anymore. I'm sorry. X. It just sounds so weird saying that X. We'll head on over to X for our spaces. It's kind of a trucking free for all on spaces. We can continue with fuel mileage and efficiency, or we can talk about anything anybody wants to talk about. So that's the schedule for today. We're going to get to it. Since I just mentioned X, which happens to be owned by Elon Musk and Tesla is as well. One of the things I was going to talk about today, Tesla wants to build a truck charging network from California to Texas. Fantastic. Knock yourself out. Except they want $100 million of our money to do it. Not no, but hell no. Let's think about this. Tesla is a pretty damn healthy company. Um, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world most weeks. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He does not need our money to do this. And if he does, then it's not ready. When the free market can pay for this stuff, that's when it should happen. Not, and let's think about this. What are, what are we like 31 or $32 trillion in debt now as a country? I can't even keep up with the number. You don't keep spending when you're in this kind of debt. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. This is just insanity, this green electric push, and they're using our money to do it. No, they're not using our money. They're wasting our money to do it. This is just wrong. They should not get a penny. If they want to build electric vehicles and charging stations, then do it with your own money, not mine. All right, what else we got? Um, LTL freight. I read several articles this morning uh, about what's going on in LTL freight. TFI, uh, T-Force, uh, there was a report they had picked up an extra 3,000 shipments a day. Another headline said small and medium-sized shippers are being hurt already by the LTL crunch. Absolutely true. We experienced it this week, and we had to solve the problem ourselves. We don't ship LTL. We ship consumers, so it's packaged. Uh, We do have to be careful of UPS right now, so we're watching that. We use the post office some, a little bit of FedEx. But on our inbound side, we receive um, LTL. Our, Our store is a little different than most retailers and even most online stores. We do not work with a distributor. Most people, most stores, most retail businesses, if they have multiple product lines like we do, we have lots of product lines, different vendors, most will use a distributor. 
And it really simplifies the whole process for them. They have one ordering point, one shipping point. The problem with that is you are forced into using the vendors that distributor has. And a lot of companies, they're fine with that. We we won't use that model for a couple of reasons. The first one is we are way, way too picky about the products we put in the store. They're not just kind of general stuff. They are very specific for lots of reasons. We do a ton of work and vetting the product and the company and the sourcing before we bring products in. We, we do testing. We try to find the absolute best product in each category. So there, there is no distributor in existence that would allow us to order all of the products we have in our store. Uh, there might be one out there that would get us half or a little more. So that's one reason. Um, we, we do not want to be limited to products that the distributor carries, but it, you know, if you think about other kind of retail stores, even food or supplements, it, they're usually not that picky. Well, the distributor has a vitamin D supplement. We'll just use that one. The distributor has some beef jerky. We'll just use whatever they have. That, that doesn't work for us. The second big reason, uh, is Lisa is very good at negotiating these deals with individual vendors. And because of that, we are able to keep our prices as low as possible. And, and there are times we beat Amazon and that's not easy to do, but we're able to do that because of all the work Lisa does with each vendor negotiating. Uh, but that creates a lot of work. To, to negotiate with each individual vendor, deal with the issues that can come up, packaging, shipping, um, pricing, sourcing, all of that can change and we stay on top of that. So because of that, we really don't have big shipments coming in. We have lots of little shipments coming in from lots of different vendors. And a lot of that does move LTL, uh, pallet size stuff. So we had a couple of pallets stuck in the system this past week. Now, there was no way we would have shipped this yellow or allowed any of our vendors to. Uh, it was put on T-Force. But the LTL system is a mess right now. So we were supposed to get these pallets last Monday. And it, there's always an excuse. And then yesterday they said it's not going to get there till the coming Monday. And that just doesn't work for us. It, we only have two options then. We either hold up orders that, that have that product on them or we ship partial orders and then we have to ship the other stuff later. And we always eat the shipping cost for that. It, that's really not good business for us. But it's also not good business to keep our customers waiting for their order. So yesterday after I got off my space, which went really long yesterday, we had a lot of fun on it. Uh, I had to grab a truck and run down to Portland. Those, the two pallets we needed have been sitting in Portland for over a week. They're 40 some miles away and we couldn't get them out here. So finally, I just went and grabbed a truck and picked them up myself last night. So those orders will now go out today instead of next Tuesday or Wednesday if we would have waited for T-Force to deliver this stuff. So I was talking to the guys on the dock and they said, yeah, it's, it's a mess. Um, 
their system is kind of a mess right now. And I imagine every LTL company is dealing with that. Uh, One more thing, and then we're going to get to the calls. So we were talking a little bit last week about surge transportation, the brokerage uh, filed bankruptcy. And, and then people were screaming. They were losing their mind. Oh, my God, truck stop and dat keep letting surge post loads, even though they're bankrupt. Well, well, no, they're going to post loads. This was not a total bankruptcy. It's a reorganization. They are still in business and they need to be moving freight. They, they need to try to get out of the cash crunch they're in. Now, for the most part, most small owner operators, so they will be posting loads, they will be moving freight. Most small owner operators should probably just stay away from them right now. It's probably not worth the hassle and the risk, but there's an opportunity here. And here's why. Now, this is for owner operators in good financial shape where they're not worried about, you know, maybe losing revenue on just one probably just one load at a time, and I'll tell you why. Here's why there is an opportunity here. First off, Surge is, uh, you know, like an untouchable for some people right now. They don't want to deal with a company that's in bankruptcy. So in order to get some of that freight and some of those customers back, Surge is going to have to start paying higher rates. You, You keep an eye on this, and you might see that their freight is priced a little better than the market. That's good, but there's an even bigger thing here. The bankruptcy court is forcing Surge to pay their carriers in three days with no quick pay charges. So now not only are you going to get paid quickly with no extra cost and the loads might be paying a little bit better, you don't... you're only going to be into them for one load at a time. They're going to pay you in three days. So just wait three days to take the next load from them and make sure you get paid. You're, you're only going to be one behind ever. So for some of you, if you're looking for a new opportunity, I might start watching their, their postings and see what's going on or call them up and talk to them about opportunities. I think it's a good time if you can manage that and you're not worried about possibly getting stuck on one load. Um, what else? I think that's it. I think we'll get some phone calls, find out what's on your mind. Join us, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Texas. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Um, Older trucks and keeping them longer. All right. He had a caller yesterday with the Freightliner, 900,000 miles, and he's worried about putting a DPF or whatever. Uh, one, one box, box. Yeah. 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 Well, my suggestion is spend the 15 grand or whatever and stick it in there and keep on trucking. Uh, seems keep that truck for another 600,000 miles. At least 600,000 more. Right. We, we don't know when some of these engines are yeah. going to start showing cylinder wear and burning oil. And, you know, we have said may, maybe we won't rebuild these things. It's getting too expensive. Um, maybe when they start burning oil, we just turn them over to the secondary market. We'll ship them down south, whatever. Uh, but yeah. but some of these engines look, if they make it to a million miles or 900,000 in his case, it, they're not burning any oil. I think his might have been burning a little, a gallon every 
I forget. No, I don't, I don't think he. Yeah. I don't think he said it was. Very maybe, it, maybe it wasn't. I might be confusing two stories here from this yeah. week. Maybe it wasn't. And if it's not, I got. I have to believe you're right that we're going to get to one point five without any other big problems, likely. Yeah, or else it will just shit itself. It might. Together. It might. That's always yeah. a possibility. We can't really predict. You know, stress breaks yeah. and failures. But to me, so, and let's think about something else. <laughs> I hate to say this, but 15,000 isn't that big of a deal on a truck anymore. You know, engines now are, if we do want to do an in-frame or drop a new engine into it, we're talking 30, 40 grand or more. Um, we've seen people spend 10 or 15,000 just chasing down emissions or electrical problems sometimes. I, we just have to realize everything costs a lot more now. And... 15,000 in this case is not that big of a deal. Well, that little breakdown I had over there in South Carolina a couple of months ago, they ended up costing me like $7,000. That's what I mean. That's the problem was the, yeah, the, the, the wiring, what it was in the end, there was a couple of false repairs, but I negotiated a little bit of a deal, got a little bit of money off. Good. But it was the wiring harness that had rubbed on the engine block and, through the insulation every time you hit a bump short out yeah that'd be a tough one to find so you're going to spend a lot of money on those kind of things these the more and more complicated these trucks become the more the maintenance cost goes up he was see i might be confusing another story somebody i was just talking to recently was at 16 cents a mile maintenance that isn't bad at all that's a really good number you know i think that I think that's the guy yesterday. It I might think. be. I um, for some yeah. reason I'm confusing several yeah. stories this so, week. But that that when I got to his number, I'm like, uh, wait, why would you get rid of this thing? That's a at yeah. nine hundred thousand miles. That's a good number. Here's something else to think about. Yeah, well, Every time we switch trucks, whether we buy and sell or trade or whatever we're doing, it what, can't cost you money. Yeah, yeah, what's happening is you will always sell at wholesale and you will always buy at retail. You could easily lose that same $15,000 in that transaction. Or more. Or yeah. more, you're right. So, uh, the reason, like, in the auto transport industry, which is what I'm in, and I have a stinger rig, so I got attractive, plus a head ramp on it, and then a trailer. Well, my truck's 10 and a half years old. They started building my new trailer last Friday. Um, but my truck, originally I'd sort of planned on keeping it about 10 years, but uh, I, when I became a lot more interested in the Volvo platform, I decided I'm going to keep this a little bit longer. And But I'll keep this to one and a half million miles, which will be about 900,000 on the Pittsburgh Power Reboot. And it's turned out to be a reliable truck overall. But my maintenance this year, at the end of June, I was on, I was at 39 cents a mile, but it's not been cheap. But right. I had a couple of, that, that major, that's truck and trailer. And um, you have a complicated trailer. Yeah crazy shit yeah it's nothing like a van or a flatbed or you've got a lot of stuff going on on that trailer yeah so some of the union car haulers like cassins and jack cooper they have trucks 
that are 20 years old. They have a lot of those little old VAH Volvos, the real small. I look down on them when I go by in my car. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. They they might have they might have had they might be on their third head rack on that trailer, or you know it was built as a chain trailer, and then they they because they run a lot of stuff in the rust belt. After six or eight years, they just cut that head rack off and build a new head rack on it, and then they put a new trailer behind it, or they just refurbish it and keep on. Union guys, they only do like fifty, sixty thousand miles a year. Yeah. Right. Uh, even though the truck's 20 years old, a million miles on it. Yeah. Yeah. Whole different model. It's cost effective. Yeah. Right. So that um that guy yesterday, and he said that he had a, uh, a two-lift five-car hauler. Well, right. unless he's hauling boom trucks or something specialized, ambulances or something like that, He's not going to be making a whole – if he's hauling yeah. the same stuff I'm hauling, yeah. he's running for half the money. You know, I was going to get into that. Yeah. I, I was going to get into the – instead of worrying so much about this 15000 or, you know, should you get rid of this – right? I almost started down the path of we should be talking far more about your trailer than we are your truck. And I, I had just spent so much time on that call. I thought, I, I don't want to get into that. That That's just a whole nother. Yo. But but that is where I went. That was the first thought I had when when he told me what he was pulling. I thought, you know, there is so much more room for improvement for you on the trailer side. And you're spending all this time worried about one repair on a truck. It's just not that. That's not where you should be focused right now. That that trailer, it works really good for some things that do not fit on my truck, like yeah, trucks right. And yeah, and if he's doing that, great, that, right. But if he's doing that, he's probably doing all right. But if he's just hauling uh, pickup trucks and minivans yeah. or what, right. actually wheel, wheelchair vans, they they sort of work on those pretty good. But uh, if he's just hauling stuff off. Central Dispatch, he, he ain't going to be making a whole lot of money, but maybe no. he's doing something specialized and he, he is doing good. So, good you know, I, I've always wondered about this in this market that, like you said, if you're doing some of those bigger specialized vehicles, that's the way you're going to do it. That's fine. But I see a lot of these three and five car haulers running just cars. And I think to myself, that would be like me trying to go out and move dry van freight with a pup. Why would you ever do that? Yeah. We call them, us stinger guys, we call those guys that have wedges and stuff like that, five car, we call them wannabes. So. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Want to be it, a it, car hauler but not committed. So. It, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. If in that market, in my opinion, you are crazy not to go all in with equipment. One more car makes a difference. You know that. Each car pays so well Yeah. that – that it that is a huge difference, and I've I've just often wondered why these guys would run around with three and five cars, just regular old cars. Like I said, it, it'd be like trying to be competitive in drive-in freight, pulling around a twenty-eight foot pup. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this gig that I'm doing now, which is mostly Texas and Oklahoma, I I sort of leave home on a Tuesday, do three or four loads. I get back home Saturday. I do a short day on Monday. 50% empty, and I'm still hovering around the $3 a, a mile for all miles. That's incredible. 
10 cars every every load. Yeah. But it works. So That's right. I'm happy with it. That's right. And the, another boatload just showed up yesterday, so I'll be good for the next couple of weeks. There you go. Yeah, you don't you don't so care if they switched all today. electric yep. cars. You still have to haul them around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell me how to start the damn thing, or what I got to do if it don't start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just leave it. If it yeah. doesn't start, just leave it. Get another one. It's, yeah, if it, if it don't if it don't run, it don't go. That's right. Yeah. So, right, I'll carry on. All right. Let someone else have a turn. Good so, stuff. Thanks okay. for the call. Let's go to Virginia. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, you were talking about LTL companies. Uh, I thought I'd share something with you if you got a second. Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, I drive for one of them that you don't never hear nothing about. It's a Estes Express Line. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a good company. Back in, yeah, um, you would appreciate this. They started in 1931 with a... Uh, one guy and a used Chevy pickup truck. <laughs> I love and those now, stories. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think his great-grandson owns it. Wow. And we have about 17, we got about 17,000 employees, and we are the largest privately held LTL company in the United States. And yeah. they pride themselves on being debt-free. I, I have always looked at that company as one of the, the best-run LTL companies in the business for a long, long time. And you're right, you don't hear much about them. It, they're, like the, uh, they're like the submerged whale. We don't hear anything about them, but they move an awful lot of freight, and they're very good at it. Yeah, they done something. You know, I told you they pride themselves on being debt-free. Yeah. Uh, in, 2000, in 2008, they sent out a letter and they sent out videos that yellow was in trouble. So they took out a loan. <laughs> they took out a loan and they purchased about 20 of their terminals, but then leased them back to them. So now we own tw about 20 of their terminals. Wow. Talk about a smart move. Who would have ever thought of that one? Yeah. Yeah, I thought, wow, what an opportunity. So uh, that's where some of their properties are going to go. Got it. Yeah, that, uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, that was really a smart move on their part. It was almost a, a no-brainer once you realize it. They, I, there wasn't much chance they were going to lose anything on that deal. Uh, and it looks like it's going to put them in a good position now. Um, the other thing that should have happened, though, at least in 2008 and probably a couple times before that, yellow should have been gone a long time ago. The, the union propped them yeah. up, the government propped them up. And, and you know what sucks about that? Two things. One, they used our money to do it, not the union, but well, the union used the union members' money to do it. So, you know, it wasn't the union, even though we say the union bailed them out. What that really means is the union members bailed them out. We always have to remember that. You know, we say government money, union money. No, that's our money. The government doesn't have any money. That's yeah. all ours. The union is not a for-profit organization. They, their only revenue, for the most part, comes from their members, so when we hear, hear the union bailed them out or bailed out the pension fund or whatever it is, that no, that's every union member paying for that. And then when the government pay, bails them out, it's all of us bailing them out and paying for that. It should have never happened. The second reason it shouldn't happen, it's not fair to the competition. 
Yeah. Hey, right. Here, here, let's just I, I'm not going to try to pass a law to outlaw bailing out companies. Let's do something else instead. Let's make it a little more interesting. If you're going to give 700 million of our money to to one company, I say you have to give the same amount to their top five competitors. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't give anybody anything, which would be the better thing to do. But that that is just not fair to competitors in that business. Right. Yeah, they tried the uh, a couple times, <clears throat> a couple different terminals tried to get the union in and uh, ESTA shut them down so fast. Good. There was a terminal that had about, yeah, a terminal had about 400 employees in Virginia. And uh, they got word the union was trying to come in. They immediately rerouted all of the freight. Uh, I guess they laid off a whole bunch of people. They went from about 400 employees there to about 30. <laughs> there you go. And uh, that, that I, shut that down. I, I yeah, have, another I, one was in California. I have said many times, I don't want to see unions outlawed in any way. If people want to join unions, they can. But I will also support any company that does whatever they have to do within their legal rights to block the union from from getting into their company. It, unions can exist. They can do whatever they want to go and recruit people within the law. But I will also support companies that say, no, we don't want the union and we're going to do whatever we need to do to keep them out. Yeah, uh, there was one in California they were talking about union and they just shut the whole place down sent everybody <laughs> home like well we don't we don't need a terminal in that city no more we'll just close the whole thing down i i love that thinking not only does it stop what's happening right then but i promise you everybody in the company who had ever thought about talking about the union looked around and said maybe we shouldn't yeah right <laughs> yeah but they're they're good to us i don't I don't even understand why anybody would want a union. Well, They're really good to us, but well, I'll, I tell, thought, you, I'll tell you what happens ahead. in this. It, it's a it's a mindset thing. Some people are just so convinced that union jobs are always better. There there was a time where that was probably true, but that time was a long time ago. Look at what these yellow drivers have been working for for the last decade. They're way underpaid compared to everybody else in the union because they kept giving concessions back. And I, I talked about, yeah. I, I think it was an Amazon warehouse recently. It was one of the bigger companies and one of their warehouses managed to vote the union in. In less than, I think, two or three years, they voted them back out. Yeah. That never used to yeah, happen. Yeah, uh, right. We got um, another video. They put out a lot of videos every time something's going on. Good. We got a video that our freight tonnage, our freight tonnage is up 10% since this yellow thing. And they're uh, asking for volunteers to work the weekends. Um, but yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that story. That was a pretty smart move to buy those uh, terminals and lease them back to them. It sure was. Boy, talk about, you know, good foresight and insight and taking a little bit of risk in it, paying off. Uh, I just had a, another thought there and it flew right out of my head. I have too many notes in front of me. What was it? Um, oh, I don't know. Mm. Ah, can't think of it. Maybe it'll come to me in a little bit. 
<laughs> All right. Well, hey, I'll let you get to somebody else. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Must be Friday. My brain's tired. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go to Massachusetts. AJ, welcome to the program. Oh, let me hit the right button. There we go. Hey, hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. How are we doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, just trying to get across the Berkshires here again. We got the air quality is down uh, or is better. So uh, thanks for good scenery out here before the storms move in. Nice. I got a, um, so I got real, while you're talking about unions and stuff, we got one of the best stories I ever heard about unions in my town. We had a, we got one of the biggest frozen fish suppliers in uh, in the country where I live. And there was a, across town, the guy had a frozen fish uh, plant, like a building that flash freeze the fish and everything is stored before they put on trucks. Well, they tried to unionize and they did. And he just shut the thing down. Been closed ever since. Wow. That was like back in maybe the, I don't know, 70s or 80s, I think. Yeah. He said, no, you're not unionizing. They said, oh, yeah, we are. And he said, no, we're no, you're not because I'm shutting it down. So they had another one in town where they, they used it and they just let the property sit. Yeah. Yeah. It, look, I, I can understand business owners not ever wanting to have to deal with those kind of headaches. You lose control of your business. You can't fire people. Yeah. Without fighting the union over it, you can't make changes to pay structure or benefits without fighting the union. Screw that. I did not get into business to let somebody else influence my business that much. I would shut one down, too. Yeah. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy said in his book, and I think he says it if you follow him and watch him, that if you have somebody working for you and you can't fire them, they no longer work for you. Correct. That's a very good point. And, and there's no way yeah, I want people I in my business that don't work for me. Yep, 100%. So yeah. that was on that topic. Uh, and and uh, so you're talking about the money that Tesla wants. Well, isn't the California electric company, I read in the time, or the uh, Wall Street Journal, it's been a while, it's been like a month maybe. They're trying to get like $700 million from uh, the federal and state government oh. to put their electric lines underground everybody's got their hands out. This whole green push from the government, everybody has got their hands out wanting some of the government cheese. Yeah, and it's got to stop. $31 trillion in debt. I I don't care if it's the right thing to do. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. And we can't afford it. I don't care if somebody could prove they leave it to alone, me. free market eventually. Exactly. I don't care if somebody can prove to me all the benefits of doing this. It doesn't matter. If I, if you and I can't afford something, we have to be smart enough not to go buy it. And if we do go buy it, we have to suffer the consequences. And it usually means filing bankruptcy. Uh, how do we allow yeah, our those gov- consequences hurt? Yeah, they do. How do we allow our government to get thirty-one trillion dollars in debt and then keep spending like this? Don't know. Me either. It is too much power. Yeah, way, too much way too much. Yeah. So I just wanted to thank the team. Uh, I called in what I call in earlier this week or last week. I can't remember. The days all run together, but about the uh, X three bar. Yeah. And uh, Lisa said the bags will be in next week. Well, the show wasn't even over, and I got an email saying they were back in stock. So I put my order and it's on the way. So I want to thank the team for being up on it. They, Lisa so, runs a, a hell of a ship down there at the warehouse, I'll tell you. That was great. Good. Yeah, looking forward to it. Excellent. All right. Call me when you get it. Let's, uh, 
Let's go to Iowa this time. Scott, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. What's on your mind I today? Just bought, uh, I just bought a 2008 Tempty, a 48-foot Tempty grain hopper. I'm going to put a lift axle on the, or on the front axle because it's a spread. And I, well, I've got a, I'm going to be pulling it with a, it's a 2012 Freightliner Columbia glider with a 10-speed direct 264 rears. And the reverse gear is really high in this thing. So uh, will that, if I get into a jam where I'm just bouncing so stinking much, can I lift that axle like to back into a, you know, a tight parking spot or while it's loaded? Uh, Do you think that one axle would come so, along? So let me just qualify this answer by saying I've never dealt with this specifically on a grain trailer. I just want to put that out there in case there's something weird about that. And if somebody knows something, call me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, so I can give you our experience in other trailers, vans, flatbeds, stuff like that, that it's very, very common, no matter how heavy these guys are, to lift that front axle to avoid scrubbing their tires when they're backing in. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I've seen people do it with camera. lots of weight. Um, it's not that big of a deal. It's, you know, a, a couple of minutes at most, and it really does say right. scrubbing the tires. So, yeah, I know a lot of people that do it, and they don't really pay much attention to the weight at all. Um, but I, I don't know if there might be something different or odd about a grain trailer. Not that I'm aware of, but I've never really dealt with this issue on that. Okay. Good. That's a that's a big relief off my mind then. Yeah, that's really kind okay. of the point of doing it. I, more people do it not so much that they can lift that axle when they're light, although that's another advantage and you can save on tolls and fuel mileage and some other things. More people do it, I think, to avoid all that tire scrubbing. That would make sense. And, and if that's the case, then they're going to do it when they're loaded or what would be the point? That's what I thought, but... I just, I, you know, don't, don't want to, don't want to wind up losing an axle in the middle of a parking lot. No, trying to it's, back into spot. Yeah, it, it, it's always better to ask and, and maybe we'll get some feedback from people. If anybody out there is using any kind of a lift axle trailer, could call us and tell us what your uh, theory is on this. Yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, okay. I, I know we do it on a lot of other trailers. I don't see why it would be different here, but uh, I'd rather hear from somebody that might have some experience with it. Works for me. All right. We'll see what Thank we... Thank you, sir. Yeah, we'll see what we can get. If you have any thoughts, experience it would be even better than just thoughts. Um, but if you've got some thoughts on this, call me. Let's go to Texas. Mark, welcome to the program. By the way, we have lines open. This is my last call on the board. Um, I would have no problem taking a little bit of a break. Well, no, I guess we're waiting until nine anyway to get uh, Henry and Alec back in. So call me. Uh, Mark, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to take uh, pick up where Paul left off because uh, as somebody who's, you know, I've changed this. When I started this eight, eight years ago, I changed everything around. I started off hauling, well, I started off as in hot shot with a flatbed, which absolutely sucked. So I knew and understood some change. Well, then I got in the car haul, bought a with truck and else. It was a five car, because I went five car, three car commercial trailer, then a five car commercial double lift, so I had a belly and all like that. 
And it wasn't until I got this truck here with a Stinger that can hold nine to 10 cars that I actually started making the money I really intended to make. But there was a learning curve of six to eight months with this. So hauling less vehicles, if you're going to haul cars, you're not going to make any money. I mean, you'll make some money, but it's just not going to be where you want to be. I mean, and it's just the power of addition. You know, you you, you bring up Uh, a point. The power of addition. you, You made me think about something with this. My opinion on this, if you're hauling cars, you should be hauling as many cars as you can. It's just crazy not to. Um, What I'm trying to warn people about is listening to guys like you and Paul on how much money you're making hauling cars and then thinking you can go out with a different setup and make that kind of money. That's what I want people to be aware of. Don't fall for that. Now, it, took if, eight, it took me eight years. Right. Now, if somebody said, hey, look, I want to get into the car hauling business. I don't have $300,000 to go buy a truck and trailer to get started, and I don't want to risk that much money. And, and, and this is the big end, and I can afford to work for forty dollars or $50,000 for a couple of years. If you can even make that, I, I would have to run the numbers to, to see, to make sure you could make that. But whatever you project that you could make, say, with a five-car hauler, whatever that number is, if it works for you and pays your bills and you're willing to do that and then work your way up, that's a good business model. That, that's all I'm saying. It, it, well, it, it's not that you sh- should never do that, but you should understand how hard you're going to work for half of the money or less than the guy who just passed you or you just passed with the full car hauler. Just realize you're doing the same amount of work for half the money. Yeah, it's, it's every spot, every spot on this vehicle is I consider like as a, as a spot for revenue. Yes. I mean, certain vehicles take up more than one spot, so you, you, they should pay more. That's correct. Taking up more than one spot, like pickup trucks, for example. Uh, but it's like, you know, you just, you have to run the numbers and you have to look at the numbers and it's just, it's that addition. I'd always sit there and run addition, add this up. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And, And here's another thing to consider. There are certain laws. This is what pretty much drove me into this type of vehicle was the state of Missouri, because the state of Missouri will not allow overhang, and you're going to have overhang hauling cars. Oh, yeah. If you go into the state of Missouri with overhang and a non-stinger, federally regulated, federal rules type of vehicle, they look for that, and they will make you take a vehicle off, and they will make you, they will not, they will ruin your day for $180. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not worth the hassle and the stress. You got to know the rules. I didn't know the rules. And it's like, everything can have overhang. You can't. And if they consider a car's divisible freight, you can divide it. You can stack it. (laughs) Well, no, you can't, but that's what they consider their lawmakers. So with this, I can have, I can be 80 foot long. I can have six foot on the rear, four foot on the front. Some states, even Florida, allows you to be, if you're a car hauler and you have a stinger, you can be 14 foot in the state of Florida. Meanwhile, everybody else can't be 14 foot. Right. So there are certain rules out there that we're allowed to use and get away with because that's the way the law is. And then people got together and they changed the law. Right. So that's another thing is if you go in, and, 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 and Missouri's not the only state. There are other states, uh, Ohio. Uh, a lot of the western, the northwest states, they're really strict on uh, dimensions. 
and they will make you remove vehicles to become compliant. So that's another thing. And, and here on a, on a side note, it's like I got I got finished working on Monday. I, I worked about two, a couple hours, and there wasn't nothing to haul because of rail cars and whatnot. And so Tuesday morning, Paul calls me, and he goes, you get anything? I'm like, no. Well, you can do this. And I said, you know what? I'm not in the position right now where I need to uh, – worry about it i said if i have to take the day off i will it's already nine o'clock in the morning i'll just reset my hours tonight or whatever start with a fresh set well a lady i had called through the person that i work do most of my work with i said who's got the audis out of houston well that's this company you need to call her i'll send you your phone number she pays good tell her i said you called and so i called her and she didn't have anything well i called to make sure they got my insurance and everything and that they got my carrier pack uh tuesday morning she goes are you still looking for a load i'm like Sure. And I thought I could maybe load it Wednesday, just take the day off. Well, she's like, I have somebody that dropped the ball. They can't get there. Can you rescue this load? Yeah. And so I immediately went to work and hauled the load and got it delivered the first thing the next morning and called her. And I said, hey, it's all delivered. You should have have your signed BOLs, time stamped, everything else. And she's like, wow. So from then on, it was like because of my communication and all like that, it's like, she said, call me anytime if I have something, you know, I'll, I'll use you because I went above and beyond on the service. Where I, I mean, what most people would do, because that's what you do. I was trying to win over a new opportunity out there. And I called her this morning and she's like, I don't have anything really to make a good load right now. But she said, it's, you know, the Port of Houston, just they just drop, they drop things on you at the last minute. She goes, if I get something, I'll call you before anybody else since you call first. So it's about building relationships like that. And and, and, yeah. and I told her, I said, I don't care if it's more than one stop. I don't care. And most people are not like that. Right. They want one stop, two at the most. And I don't care. It's like whatever I can do. And, and it, 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 it shows with my numbers because over the last year and this year, con- consistently through the last six quarters, I have averaged 367 a mile. Wow. And that's a lot of empty miles in between there. But it's, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. I'm not saying everybody should go out and buy a car hauler or whatever. I didn't buy a brand new one. I, this this is one that came from Paul's company that was run before. It had 414,000 miles. And I yes. ran the, the, the ECM through Pittsburgh Power, and I knew what I was getting. I had inside knowledge into the maintenance records and all of that. And because... And, and so I didn't pay three hundred. I paid one hundred seventy-five thousand for this unit. Right. And but because I, I mean, and it came with some warranty, which I was able to use and all that. But I guess the point is, it's like if you think you're going to make money out here hauling cars, and you see people out here hauling two and three, sometimes one. If that's if they're using one of these small trailers like a wedgie or all that, it's like. They're not making money. I, I know what this stuff pays. And it's not what people get on, online and say, well, I'm hauling this for a dollar a mile. You might have a dollar a mile here and there, but you're not consistently because these Correct. people know that, right. when they haul these used cars what they're going to pay. And they're not. And there are certain brokers out there that know that people will haul for less and they will. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. So it, I'm telling I'm telling you, it's not it's nothing overnight out here. It, it takes time to build up to that, and the power of addition with, you know, it's like there there are people out there saying, "Oh, you need to do a three and a four car." I've tried that. I'm telling you, it's not it's not all that. 
I've been there, done that, got you, that T-shirt. You know, th- there may be some weird opportunities out there, like certain vehicles, or maybe if you yeah, could, yeah, there is, it, no doubt. Yeah, or, or maybe you could even put together possibly some shorter hauls where it, it's not as important. But man, once you get out on the interstate and you think about, you know, having twice as many cars on the same, basically the same thing, the longer that haul gets, the worse you're getting screwed if you don't have all those cars. Yeah, you you have to. And and it's like, you can't get out there. And I've done this. I'm telling you, I have, I, I came up the wrong way, but it was a learning experience. I've come out and I did point to point. I had the dispatch service. I thought, well, this is what you got to do. And it's like, I remember the first time I made $7,000 in a week, I was thought, oh, my God, I can't believe. And now it's like this week, here's $12,000, and that's, that's routine, 10 and 12. But it's, it, I'm telling you, it didn't, it's not overnight, and there's all kinds of learning experience. I still Absolutely. learn things. I made this mistake, made that mistake. You know, the, 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 the risk for more damages, you miss a damage. you got to pay for the damage. It's like this morning I got on with one of my customers. I was talking about it, and they're like, yeah, we know that. It's like your quality control for the auto industry out there when you get it, because once you move the car, it's your car. And I had a scratch on one, $858 is inside a door. Didn't see it. Wasn't that bad. I didn't think it was right. done at the factory, but I got to pay for it. So there's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience well, consistently, after, but, but for the numbers, go ahead. Yeah. After talking to you about this and thinking it through that, that what you did when you kind of said, well, I started wrong. I, I don't think you did. I think you started right because here you are. You made it to where you want to be. I didn't know any better. Yeah, right. And and sometimes things work like that. I didn't know any better like so I heard you on the radio. So, so the idea that yeah. going in with a smaller call, car hauler to learn makes a lot of sense. If you can make that work, you can earn enough, and, and you have a plan to keep growing when it makes sense – then that works. But I, I have a lot of these guys call me and they're running around doing this and they can't make any money and they want me to help them. Well, sometimes I can't. I mean, there's only so much we no. can squeeze out of this. If you're just not bringing in enough revenue, we can cut expenses all day long. It's not going to matter. It, it, it's, you've got to get the revenue. You're gonna, expenses are going to be there, but you've got to get the revenue and you've got to build up to it. And there will be people that will tell you, you can't do that. You can't. I was told I can't run the routes I'm running right now. I was told explicitly by that dispatch service that I use in the car hauling business, you can't do that. You need to do this or whatever. And and I kept saying, hey, we need to build relationships or whatever. And every time <laughs> I talked it, about that, they would get mad and hang up on me. Isn't it wonderful when you're and, paying and, a company and, like that and, that and that's the kind of service you get, bad advice and bad answers? You know, I was telling you the other day about my accounts receivable. I would have a five-car hauler, and sometimes I would have 25 invoices, during, 30 invoices during the week, whatever. I mean, if you do five yeah. a day, five times five, 25 or whatever, and you might, and you have all of this. You come, you get stacks of checks. I was, like, staying at my daughter's place, and, you know, the mail was coming there, and I'd ask her about it, and, and she finally got, I guess she got tired, and mail, mail would stack up. I remember going through crap and finding checks that I thought was lost in the mail. I find <laughs> checks and it was like, uh, you know, I find checks laying around and it'd be checks here and checks there. And it's like, you don't, I mean, you probably have an idea, but some people don't have any idea of how many checks you oh, get. It's like the 200, it's a lot of work, 500 and you have stack, you have stacks of those. 
And, and I was thinking the other day, I was like, how disorganized I was because I had all of this coming in and trying to keep up with it and knowing where everything was. And it's like, it, it's just, it's kind of mind boggling to, to think that you've got this little business here. You've got all of this, you know, we're pro- probably doing 200 to 250,000 revenue, but it's all in a little check. Right. It's like when my bookkeeper took over, it's like, you got a lot of deposits there. I'm like, well, that's how the business ran then. Now it's only like two and, you know, one a week, one every, you know, here and there. I've got an e-check sitting around here I need to put in from one company. But most of it's direct deposit. And, and it's like, it's, I'm telling you, when you, you sit there and you look through and you're going through old mail and you find a check and it's <laughs> like, because my daughter got to the point, she didn't give a shit. It's like, and I was like, I'll pay you to do this. I'd give her a, a Starbucks gift card. Hey, here's a gift card. If you'll watch out for this, deposit these checks for me or whatever. Yeah. And and, and it got to the point where that wasn't enough for her. And right. it's like, it's, right. it's like, that's your problem, not my problem. Yeah. And so I'm telling you when I, when I made the mistakes and it's, yeah, and yeah, I learned from it, and and it's like, it's mind-boggling now to think back to what I went through to get where I'm at, because, it, I mean, it just didn't happen. I'm telling uh, exactly. you, I called you that right. time last year, and after I was added up eight years, and it's like, because you know, you're, you you jump from you jump from two hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred seventy thousand up to four hundred and fifty-four thousand. Yeah, it's like. Whoa, hey, am I really doing this? Hey, I hey Mark. I'm a bookkeeper, and I'm like, this, I, I, is this real? Go ahead. This is what happens when you do the hard work. It, it just is. This is the story we hear over and over, and it's never overnight. Nobody is an overnight success. It takes time. But there are an awful lot of people out there. At, I'm going to cut you loose because calls are piling up, and i got to get uh, Henry and Alec in here soon. Um, yeah, this this idea that, you know, you're either going to be an overnight success or it, it takes time. It takes a lot of doing the hard work and working hard both. But I hear from a lot of people that during that same eight year time, they haven't done the hard work and they're struggling and they don't think any of this works. Well, well they didn't really do it. That's the whole point. They don't know their numbers. They haven't built relationships. They haven't learned how to provide value to your customer. Let's uh, let's go to Detroit. Robert, welcome. Hey, Kevin. I uh, was calling because I heard a question about lift axles, but I didn't hear the question. So you'll so, have to inform me what the man wanted, but I got six axles, three out and three down. Okay, you're, you're probably... Yeah, Michigan Tanker. You may be able to give us a little bit of insight here. So I've dealt with a lot of lift axles on even some vans or reefers, plenty on flatbeds and and uh, step decks and some other trailers. And the idea is with the spread axle is primarily when we do this. A lot of people had lift axles installed and they weren't installed for the reasons we were doing it. You know, being able to get an axle off the ground when you don't need it. Primarily, it was to stop the scrubbing on the tires because that front axle just tears tires up. So I know that we do it in vans, reefers, flatbeds, even at, you know, full weight. Um, This guy called. He has a grain trailer. He's getting a new grain trailer. I think it might have been. It's got a lift. And he was wondering if he's in a tight dock or whatever, and and he wants to lift that axle, is the weight going to be a problem just being on one axle? And my answer was, 
No, it's only a couple minutes. We're just backing into a dock, but I've never dealt with it specifically on a grain trailer. So I, I just wanted somebody with some knowledge or experience around that just to make sure there isn't something I'm missing. You, you would have the same situation. Well, I mean, is there ever a time where you're fully loaded and you lift all three of those axles? Is there any reason to yes, do that? I got, okay. I got one switch. Yes, I got one switch. And when I clip it, they all go up. And I have to do it when I turn or uh, I got to pick them up when I turn or it'll, it'll kick the, the tractor around like a like a caster wheel. It'll try to, oh, the yeah. trailer will try to drive and it'll push the tractor and it'll jackknife you instantly. Got it. So you got to pick them up when you turn. And when I do, the only thing he'll feel is a lot of brake speed. I lose all. So we don't do it till just before you're going to turn because the moment you pick them, all your brakes go, those three brakes yeah. are now gone. All so now you're 130,000 pounds on half the brake. From what I understand, the only time he wants to do this is just backing into a dock. Right. And he's got to have his back one. Or, yeah, because where you, whichever axle you pick up makes your pivot. Correct. So when he's... I pick up my back one and a couple front ones, I, yeah, I can turn this thing like a 28-foot pup. Exactly. Because of where I, the other ones are at. I've, when we've worked with people in the past, even on like a, a flatbed spread or whatever, I, I've said, look, why don't you think about having both of them liftable? You know, if you don't want to scrub your tires getting into a spot, then you lift the front one. If you want a nice, uh, the ability to get into a really tight spot, sometimes lift the back one and let your pivot point be way up front. You got a much better turning radius now. Um, and that's that's all. He was only going to have the forward lift. He wasn't even talking about the back. And I'm not sure you could on a grain trailer. That That's the thing. There's some of these trailers. You wouldn't be able to do some of the stuff we're talking about. So I always have to think through that. But the for him to have a forward lift and to lift it, even when he's totally loaded, backing into a dock, I, I don't think should cause any problems. I've seen them where they'll pick up all the axles except for one, and they'll leave one on the ground. But but with those those guys, when they do load, a couple of them are on a switch like mine, but a couple of them are on pressure. So as soon as they start filling the trailer, that pressure switch will put that wheel down, all right. and it won't allow it to go back up right. because that would just be way too much. One hundred fifty thousand pounds on that one axle. Here, yeah. Here, yeah, and that's no different than all of the um, six by two tractors now. A lot of this is becoming um, electronic and weight activated, and the driver and doesn't pressure. have control yep. over them, right? Yeah. But I, I can run. Like I said, I can pick three of them up, but only you don't want to do it because you're going to lose. You can feel it instantly. It's just like coming down a, a hill out there by Kevin's house. You're going to know it when the brakes fade. And it, yeah. as, soon as, you, as soon as you do it, there goes the pedal. That's uh -huh. right. That's right. All right. Good, good feedback. Now, again, he's taking three axles off the ground at times, meaning he's probably double loading the other three. Similar situation. It seems like we do this a lot, and it just doesn't cause problems. Uh all right, it looks like we've got uh, Henry in the house. So, and, oh, we've got Henry and Alec. I see Alec down there in the calls. So let me bring in Henry first, and then we'll uh, introduce Alec. Henry, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Good to be on with you again, Kevin. What's, uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Oh, 
you know, I got new solar panels this week that are more form-fitting to the actual truck. The early ones I had <coughs> were prototype, and now I got ones that actually look like they belong on the truck, so that's pretty cool. And they've worked out real well as an addition to the battery-powered air conditioning. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, stick some solar panels wherever you can find them if you've got, you know, battery and electric. Um, who, who's making these? Um. Why'd you make my mind go blank? I, I, I think I know who it is, too, but my mind went blank, so I was hoping you would know. Um, Merlin, Mer- Merlin. Oh, uh, it's Merlin. okay. Yeah, it I wasn't know, who I, I was it, thinking. Well, is anything, but... Okay, yeah, Merlin. Who, who's, I don't know why my mind went... Yeah, who's, who does Joel use for his solar panels? Merlin. It is Merlin? I thought it was somebody else. No. I thought there was a... Merlin doesn't getting, just specialize in truck solar, do they? And that's the part I know him for. But I know E now does uh, trailers and has done some reefer units as well. E now is who I was reefer. thinking of. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. All right. So, uh, how many watts were you able to add? I have six hundred and thirty watts. Okay. And that's, and that's with the hood and the roof. So that's just the tractor. That's quite a bit. I mean, I, that, that's that's uh, a pretty decent amount of wattage from that small area. Well, when you add that together with the capacity of the batteries, that I was able to go 10 hours pretty easy. And if you manage your 34-hour restart, it's pretty easy to basically be unlimited without running the engine. It, and... There's always the option. I always want to remind people about this. Just because you've put on an APU or an electric APU and solar and all these other things, there is nothing wrong with once in a while, if you need to, start the truck and let it charge something. Right. It's not that big of a deal. I I mean, the, the point behind this is to minimize your idling. You don't have to totally eliminate it. So occasionally, if you need to start your truck and run it for a while to charge some batteries on a 34, then just do it. During the day, if I microwave a small meal, I can get away with not running the truck. If it's nighttime and I'm parking and getting ready to take my 10-hour break and I'm making supper... Well, yeah, I run the truck to run the, well, I had the microwave on for, you know, five to eight minutes, depending on what I'm cooking. Yeah. Because why would you run a 900 watt microwave against your batteries and then expect to have air conditioning all night long? You know, you got to manage things to a certain point. You know, we do a lot of this in the Sprinter. When we're traveling in the Sprinter, we've got, uh, I think, 400 watts, maybe on there and there's not a lot of room up on the top with air conditioners and all the other stuff you got to put up their vents and um so we've got a pretty decent amount uh we've only got a hundred amp hour battery there's not a lot of space in there for extra batteries so so we do have to manage it somewhat but it's not that big of a deal like you said if we're going to hit the microwave just reach up hit the generator for a couple seconds let it run um, and then it just saves your batteries from taking a big chunk out of them for, you know, no reason right then. So it, it does come down to well, learning well, this it, stuff and a little bit of management, but it can go a long way. Even with the battery powered air conditioning, is it infallible? No. You got to work with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you put your windshield towards the sun 
with no curtain up and expect everything's <laughs> going to be good? No. Right. Do, do you crank the fan up to 8, 9, 10, and turn the cold all the way to cold and think that it's going to make 10 hours? No. You know, that don't work. Do you sometimes take steps into a few? One of the things I found that really extends the range, and say you're in one of those outlier-type days where it's 110, 112 degrees, yeah, I put the foil deal up in the windshield. I pull the center curtain so it's only cooling the sleeper. <laughs> right. And then I take a fleece blanket and I hang it over the top of my upper bunk so it's only cooling the area where I'm sleeping. There you go. Then I can get all sorts of range out of it because I drop down the, the amount of area that it needs to take care of. Yep. And and I'm not going to be up and walking around while I'm sleeping anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> matter to me in the other part of the world. That's right. Hey, were you... Uh, and so I, and were, I guess that comes from being old school, having been in the old cab overs where, you know, you had a place to sleep. That was it. it barely a place to sleep. But trying to get into the exactly. sleeper in my, you know, 94 GMC Astro was, you, you had to be uh, a contortionist just to crawl back into the sleeper. Everything was so small and crowded. Well, as bad as the cab overs were, they weren't as bad as some of the conventionals where you were more or less crawling through a little window to drop into it. Oh, the, the last one of those I drove was Bruce Mallinson's uh, early, I think it's early 90s T600 he's got. Uh, it's got a mechanical Cummins in it, a big, a big cam that he built, which is an incredible engine. But it was like, it was like crawling back into a coffin. That's what the sleeper was like. And you know what? I actually like that though. I really like sleeping in a small enclosed space like that and keeping it really cold and dark. There you go. All right. Hey, were were well, you the? Like I said, there's things you can do to extend. That, the range of your battery stuff that's that right. really helps and, out. And a little bit of solar, if you've got some room for it, does help. I would put it on. Uh, were you the one responsible for uh, yep. getting Alec in here with us? No, that was that was Joel. Oh, well, Joel, if he's listening today, he might be listening while he's out working. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to bring Alec in now. So, Alec, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. It's good to be with you. Thank great, you. great to have you here. So now the hard part. You got to introduce yourself. Tell us about your trucking experience. <laughs> tell us about your operation today, and then tell us about your fuel mileage strategies and results. How's that? Now I can go take about a half hour break, and I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to do the commercial break to pay the bills. So. Yeah, well, well we, we don't I do commercials with Joel around here. <laughs> Good, good deal. Yeah. Well, I work with Joel. Uh, at Alpha Drivers. So Joel is uh, the technical expert. He's, uh, he's obviously very gifted in that area. And I handle the business side of things. So the reason why Joel's not with us is because I conveniently scheduled him to be making seven deliveries in the Salt Lake City area. Ah, there today. you go. <laughs> you're the one that gets oh, you all these. Joel. Yeah, Have fun. You're the one that sets him up with all these crazy <laughs> runs I keep seeing. Yes. Uh, this one is only what twenty five stops, I believe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've <laughs> I set him up on a thirty three stop rule, but so yeah, there you go. Yeah, I haven't heard the end of that. But yeah. uh, but you know, uh, I wanted to talk about money, if that's okay. Absolutely. And profitability, and because you know, a lot of people, we you know, as you know, Joel and I put a lot of posts up. Henry does as well about fuel economy and. 
And we hear, you know, the usual remarks. Well, if you, you know, got better, if you didn't haul cheap freight, you wouldn't have to worry about fuel economy. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, boy. I, I mean, I know. It, well, let me, let me yeah. throw in the other ones that I'm it, sure you guys get tons of times. I see it. <laughs> that one there. Well, why do you, if you had good freight, you wouldn't have to worry about it. No, no matter how much my freight pays, I'm still going to work on cutting expenses. Why wouldn't you? That, that's just insane to me. Yeah. But then the other one that always makes me crazy is they will pick out the tiniest little detail about why you get better fuel economy. Well, you don't have to deal with the traffic I deal with. Are you? Well, you're, of course you can get that kind of fuel mileage driving slower. Or, yeah, I see you only had 15,000 pounds mm-hmm. on the trailer that time. It, none of that stuff matters. We could give those other guys the exact same right. situation and they wouldn't come close to these numbers and, and well that's absolutely right in it, my case that i drive slow all the time right Doc? yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like your high speed run to uh, new jersey and back what was it the new jersey or garden state express yeah, one of those yeah. things that you were doing for a couple of months 3800 you know and a week yeah you know and you know we get the rash you know at the other end of the spectrum when joel does a high speed test and he's going, you know, let's just say the speed limit is 80 and we'll start from there. And, uh, you know, then we get the, oh, my God, I can't believe it. That's not safe. The tires are only rated for 75 miles. An hour. Well, your tires are only rated for 75 miles an hour, perhaps. But, you know, we, we get it from both ends. So you, you can't oh, yeah. win. But, uh, but, you know, when you're, as you just said, um, Kevin, that, you know, profit is revenue minus expenses. So there are two sides of that equation, right? You to, to maximize your profitability, right? Getting good fuel economy is a piece of it. And, what I've, and you, your slogan I hate years ago was interrupting you, but let's ahead. not forget no, that fuel is a part of it. And it, for an owner operator, it's the biggest mm-hmm. part. Yeah, it's your number one expense. Of Um, course, that's where there's going to be more room to control things. And just because the nature of fuel mileage itself, we have more control over fuel mileage on that truck than almost anything else about our operation. I I came up with like 87 things that affect fuel economy. 87, I was getting close to 90. I remember that. Now, you can't control many of them, but boy, there are an awful lot you can control. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, on that point about the fuel, um, I did a post yesterday about our um, July fuel economy and, and, and ton miles per gallon and so on. And I got a comment this morning that says, how much DEF are you using? And I'm like, wait a minute. DEF accounts for either 7% of the expense of fuel or about 6% of, you know, the actual gallons versus gallons. Okay. So why would you... <laughs> frankly, get your panties in a wad about something that's 7% and ignore the other 93%. Am I missing something? <laughs> no, good point. But let's take that even a little further. From my experience and everything I understand, when things are spec right and operating right, your def consumption is correlated and tied to your fuel consumption. So if you are working on getting exactly. better fuel economy, you are probably also working on getting better def economy without doing anything else. You don't have to go focus. And honestly, right. if you were to try to focus on def consumption, what would you even do? 
Good point. Make the next smaller. I, yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't, I, right. I don't know what to do to improve deaf well, consumption I, other I, than to improve fuel actually, consumption. I, well, actually, the one thing you can do is do a well. Before I would do an overhead, I would do a cylinder balance test just to make sure that the engine is at peak operating condition, which is something you've always talked about for years. Exactly. You know, right. you can't worry about anything else until the truck is in top mechanical condition. Correct. So right. I almost want to say that that's a given assumption at the word go, but it bears, um, you know, reminding folks yeah. that that needs to be done. But, but you're absolutely right. Beyond that, there's, you know, deaf consumption, it's, it's all required by the OBD protocols and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was just looking at some numbers, you know, like I said, the 6.12% of def gallons to fuel gallons. Um, you know, why would you worry about something that gets 270 miles to the gallon versus <laughs> the seven <laughs> right. miles to the gallon? You need to focus. <laughs> there is one thing that I've seen on def that you can really focus on that, you know, it makes a nice steak dinner's difference worthwhile in your money is there's been quite a big, wide variety of death pricing. Everywhere. I haven't seen that much, but I, uh, I'm getting it for $2 a gallon at one place and the other place at two fifty three, and that's at the pump. And then I talk to people buying it on their own that are still getting it close to a dollar a gallon. Well, well, okay. I mean, it it sure is. Um, I had to put it in my car um, and it was, you know, and I just looking at my averages now at 419 per gallon is our average so far this year uh, per gallon. Um, I remember I when it was 275. That, I found one place at $2 a gallon that's on my route, and I don't go by there without filling it up because. Yeah. My next Can you pick some extra and. And bring it along? Pick up some extra and drop it in Ohio for Joel. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> And I think Joel's got a good source on it. Me and Joel have had this conversation. Okay. Well, since I'm paying the bills, um, <laughs> when he's out on the road, um, <laughs> when he's on the road, it's, I mean, we, we pay like everybody else. Um, now having said all of that again on the profit side. Uh, so yes, our fuel consumption is, is arguably at the top of the heap, um, uh, it, it which helps keep is. our costs down. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but it, it also behooves us to, as um, Henry was just correctly saying, keeping, you know, watching where we purchase. So I do all the fuel purchase optimization. So, you know, it, he, Joel may say, well, hey, where do I get fuel next? Uh, I can buy it here. I'm by Minneapolis. I said, well, how much you got in your tank? I said, don't buy it there. Go down to Clear Lake and buy it in Iowa. And, you know, uh, Kevin, you've always talked about, you know, look at the price X tax, right? And we can have that conversation too. But, uh, you know, you know, just like people say, well, Oh, you never buy fuel in California or Pennsylvania. I'm like, well, actually, yeah, because liability and, and credit are different things. Yeah. And here, here's one of my uh, favorite sayings, never say never. Mm-hmm. Because in this case, it's not a true right. statement. It might be true 90 to 95% of the time, but I don't care. I, I need to pay mm-hmm. attention because if I hit that other 5% of the time, then I want to buy fuel where I should be buying fuel. So when I hear people say, well, I never buy in Oregon, I never right. buy here. I, I, well, that's not a good way of looking at this. 
Oh. Uh, Alec, I don't yeah. know how much you've been seeing it, but fuel prices have been all over the place from one stop to another. Yes. yes. And, and today uh, on yeah. my run, it was close to 40 cents a gallon difference by going down the road a little bit farther from where I was to where I got my fuel. And in fact, all the way home to Laredo, I didn't see anything that touched it. X tax price, obviously, because that's what right. matters is your X tax price. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that high yeah. uh, Illinois fuel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you just got a bigger credit for your IFTA filing. So good for you. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of crazy and there's a lot to this business. And so uh, Joel and I just were laughing about this yesterday. In fact, that uh, a lot of the things that a lot of the drivers had learned from frankly, their parents, their father or their uncle or something like that many years ago, a lot of the rules have changed (laughs) about, you know, driving by the boost gate. You know, I mean, there's somebody who appears on this show who, who advocates that in years ago, that might have well, made sense. Well, wait a minute. It, wait, wait, wait a minute. Today. I, I'm going to jump in here because <laughs> in, in that show, okay. we talk about, we're still talking about mechanical engines with some guys. We have yes, lots right. and lots of people with late 90s, early 2000s pre-emissions or gliders where the boost gauge mm-hmm. still does matter. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not necessarily that right. it's out of date there's still tons of those trucks. We still need right. to teach this and it is still the right answer, but it's not the yes. right answer all the time. Right. And, and we've been trying to talk more and more Correct. about that on the Friday show that there are cases now right. in trucks where the boost gauge is almost meaningless. Correct. Yeah. And, and we were talking about the new trucks and I think that was the question that we had recently. Yeah. It, about it, you the know, boost it, gauge. It, it, you heard it on the radio, you know, and, and it's You're absolutely of, right. It, the context is everything. Well, that's one of my biggest challenges on the show. And one of the things I have to deal with, I, mm-hmm. I, I get emails from people who are screaming at me about my advice. You said to do this and I did it and look what happened. And I'll look at the person and I'll go, I don't remember ever talking to them. I don't remember this story. And I'll, I'll email them back and say, when did we talk and what did I tell you? Oh, well, we didn't talk. I was listening to you talk to somebody else on the radio. And their situation was exactly like mm-hmm. mine. No, it's not. Nobody's situation is exactly like anybody else's. And I try to make <laughs> it very clear. That's right. I am only talking to one person at a time. And I am giving that person very specific advice. Now, most people should be able to listen to a show like this and still learn a lot, right? Even if it's not exactly your situation. Mm -hmm. But I try to get it across to people. Do not think what I'm saying to somebody on the radio is the right advice for you. It might be but it might not be. And if you can't figure out whether it's right or not, you should call me specifically and we can talk about your situation. But don't send me an email saying you took my advice and it didn't work when you never really took my advice. You didn't talk to me. Right. No, that's absolutely very true. Uh, On that vein, some people have said to Joel, well, I have your exact spec. You know, it's like 2019. It's exactly your spec. 
Well, actually, no. It's a six by four. <laughs> Rear axle ratio is different. You have a VGT and not a TC, you know, and so so on and so forth. Hey, so I, I hate to keep interrupting you, know, you but every time another, you say something, it makes me yeah. think of something. Here's the other one um, that really gets me. I will have people ask me a question, and I understand. I'm glad they're asking questions, and you got to start somewhere. But it's always kind of amusing when somebody says, what truck gets better fuel economy, a Kenworth or a Volvo? What the hell are you going to do with that? You know, where do I even start? Come on. Everybody knows the answer to the best fuel mileage is to get a brand new Diamond Rio glider. (laughs) I know. When when they ask me that question, though, I have to stop myself and say, "Okay, it's a legitimate question. And I try to meet people where they are. But boy, that's a tough one. I don't have yeah. an easy answer. It's going to take that's me a, a while to try to get you up to speed on this. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, the reality is everybody builds a good truck right now. You know, you mm-hmm. expect any of them to, to be the front row at Daytona. You know, then then you got to go into your dealer relationships, parts availability, and everything else that way to go beyond that. But what a wonderful time in trucking because everybody's trucks are really good. They're, they're a whole lot better than they were, you know, 12 years ago. That's for sure. You know, so, um, and they're getting more reliable. Unfortunately, the chip shortage and some of the supply chain issues, uh, globally, it's not just here, of course, have, have made things challenging. COVID didn't help that. Um, but as Henry said, everybody makes a good truck these days, you know, but who makes the best truck for your particular application you know, uh, are you heavy haul? Are you off road? Are you on road? Are you are you driving Henry's dump truck? You know, uh, with a Diamond Rio. I mean, everything <laughs> is different, and That's so, right. you know, it, it's just you have to spec what works, for, and, and then take into account: Do you have a dealer in your network? You know, in your area. Another good that point. Can service you, and do you have a prior existing relationship? I mean, there are a whole host of very complicated questions, and. Uh, and of course, pricing, we haven't even touched that yet. So, um, you know, how's, how's a person's credit? I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Um, and then there's also personal preference. I mean, what are you comfortable with? What, what do you have a long-term history, you know, driving, right? A lot goes into it. Good point. Um, the, the other thing I was going to touch on, just mention on the profitability side, on the revenue side of things. Kevin, you for years have said, you know, I think your slogan at opening was uh, ex- uh, exploiting your uniqueness in the service of others. I, I stole and that from that's Larry. That's something Wingen. that I always well, want to. I always want to make sure I, I give him to, credit I, I because that yeah. was his line, and I asked him to use it. Well, I, yeah. I, I went to Larry yeah. and said, "Larry, I love yeah. that line. I love the concept. Can I steal it?" And he said, "Of course." But I always want to make sure I give him credit. It is. That one of the best way to success is to discover your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and so I, I do need to give kudos to you for putting it on the air and to Larry then, because that's exactly what I'm doing to Joel. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's why we do multi-stop loads. And, you know, we on a head haul, we have a lot of stops. Thank goodness that Joel likes to do that stuff. He likes the physical exercise. We, by, by necessity, we have to deal with retail delivery hours and, 
city traffic a lot of times. So our average speed is lower than everybody else's, but our revenue is well over double right. uh, what the market is. Um, but he's got to, he's got to do, he's got to hoof it. I mean, he's, he's working. He's, and when today in Salt Lake city, he's got seven deliveries and I think a pickup on a return, uh, you know, he, he's going to get to his, his next area and he's probably not going to be very happy to talk to me because, you know, well, that's more than a day's kind of work. Like, oh, it sucks <laughs> to be you. Um, uh, I love that. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, yeah, we're going to set him up. Thank, uh, thank God for a yeah. caller ID, though. You know, you're, yes, you're absolutely right. Send them to voice. Yeah. Your call is very important to you. We'll get back to you as soon as possible. Yeah, in 24 to 48 hours. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, he's in my phone as a friend. And even when I put on Do Not Disturb, his call comes through. So, you know, I can't win for nothing. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that is trucking, right? I mean, that's you've right. got that, to, that's the nature of the beast. But we all recognize that we are capitalizing on our uniqueness. So yes. if all you want to do is run terminal to terminal, uh, dock to dock, no touch, you know, you don't even have to get out of the cab of the truck. I'm sorry, but if you don't do something different than the mega fleet carriers, you have no uniqueness. And so you are going to be at the mercy of the brokers that everybody curses at. And to me, that's misplaced. You, you should be cursing at yourself for you bring, being. You bring up so many good I don't know, points. Lazy to, is the right term. I know but, I have to keep jumping in, and I don't want to keep interrupting <laughs> you, but it. you keep bringing up so many good points. Um, it, I just posted this morning because I hear this kind of stuff all the time. We can't compete with the big carriers. Why would you want to? Why would you try? Oh. Don't compete with them. Hey, hey, you hold should on, be. Hold on, Kevin. <laughs> all right, go ahead. <laughs> You're, you're driving Wait a minute. on this one, Kevin. My head's going to explode. I know. So All three of us are, I'll never are frustrated. I got yeah. asked the question. The, the, I got asked the question, and I had one guy lease to me at the time. How's a two-truck operation like you compete with the mega carriers? I, I said to him in front of the It's the other way around. You asked the wrong question. How do they compete with me? I don't know. I can't. tearing up my stuff. Right. I do better they on can't. Fuel everything. Yeah, they get discounts, but they need those discounts if they want to compete with me. All they have to think about, well, actually, try to play on their field. Make them play on your field if they want, and they won't. They, they're not going to bother. I, I they can't. You've got to find that, and we can use the word unique even. We have to find that unique freight that needs more personal <laughs> attention, and big fleets can't possibly service those customers well. But you guys can get in there and kill it in freight like that. Kevin, they used to keep me around at one of the places where I competed head-to-head with the big fleets, but not directly. Because you know what they used me for? To go around to customers that the big fleet's drivers had irritated and straighten things out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was my but, job. Henry. To smooth it out. But you got to get paid for that. you got to get paid for that. I did. Yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So one of the other things that we do... So while I send Joel to the West Coast, invariably we've got some sort of a return, moving pads, those sorts of things that we bring back to our original shipper. So it becomes difficult to do a full truckload load going back. So we had to get even more creative and do more work and pound the phones, 
to find a whole bunch of partials. And we put those together, get them in the right order. We deliver some, sometimes I'll bring them through Denver. We deliver here, reload here in Denver, more partials and continue on to the East Coast. But, you know, while the rest of the market is, you know, dollar 60, 70, if you're lucky, dollar 80 a mile. And we're doing twice that because we're, you know, uh, getting creative. We, we make less yeah. per piece, but you put all the pieces together and you've got, got 10 pieces. Now you're doing pretty darn well. You're exploiting um, your uniqueness. And it, well, <laughs> Joel's uniqueness. <laughs> oh, the two of you. Because <laughs> he's the you, one doing the work. No, I think I, yeah. from what I'm hearing, yeah. Yeah. the two of you sound like a pretty amazing team. You, you've, And here's what we're doing. You're taking his uniqueness and your uniqueness. And in this case, one plus one can sometimes equal four. Yeah, or at least greater than two. Exactly. So um, it, it works out well. And, you know, uh, earlier this year, um, Joel was at Matt's. He was at the TMC meeting, and he uh, was at a engineering exposition at Volvo headquarters with the Purple Haze. Well, we still had a customer to service, so I went and leased a truck, and I delivered the freight. Um, there you go. had a pretty horrific time weather-wise going across <laughs> the upper Midwest in Montana when nobody had any business being out there, including me, um, in hindsight, I, well, whatever. Yeah. Shouldn't have been there. We know. But anyway, we, it worked out, been there. but, but that's that exactly. But this, this is what it's, what it takes. And so it, it's, it's incumbent. If, if people want, you know, more, uh, revenue, you, you've got to do something that's unique. You've got to maybe get into a different niche like logistics or pad wrapped or going to Canada in the winter time to Saskatoon when it's minus 26. You know, you got to go, as the expression goes, you got to go north of 40 when it's below 40. So that's, that's how you get higher revenue. And I don't know. Um, uh, this is sounding like blasphemy. You, you don't mean just buying a truck isn't enough that you should automatically be profitable because you became a truck driver. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, yes. No. Yeah. You got to work towards being profitable. It don't just happen. Oh God. No, there's, you know, you could listen to Kevin's show as I have since 2010 and take notes. And as Kevin, you pointed out, you know, take what applies to your business and own it. If it doesn't apply to your business, put it aside, right. you know, not everything is going to be germane to your particular situation. Not, not everybody can do what we have in the purple haze. Um, it may not be applicable. I mean, Joel and I talked about fuel tank size because uh, somebody says, well, gee, how far can you go with just one tank? You must have to get fuel a lot. You can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you, and Joel uh, picked this up, he said, well, wait a minute. If I have another 150 gallon tank, I can't lift my lift axle for 50% of the time. I have to open up my trailer gap because I have too much weight on my right. steers and I've got to move some of that weight aft. And so I lose 1% fuel economy 100% of the time. I have to lift my lift axle, excuse me, I have to drop my lift axle for 50% of the time. So I actually got out and calculated, that's about $4,300 a year Wow! in higher fuel cost just by having that extra 150 gallon tank. Wow. And I, you know, I I've thought through this. I've now, never put those yeah. kind of numbers to it. That's pretty incredible. Oh, 
it's a lot of money. Rough math on how much it costs to carry a spare tire. Okay. It costs a it costs a lot. I mean, if you don't think it takes energy, take a spare tire and put it on your back and take it to McDonald's and back. I, how much I, energy yeah, does it take? I'll, You're carrying that tire no matter what. I'll give you another example well, of this. Well, it, it, it's that mm-hmm. that just drove me crazy when we were looking at Sprinter vans. Almost all of them have a spare tire on the back that you've got to try to move out of the way to open your back doors. And in a lot of the setups, the back doors don't open completely because of that spare tire carrier back there. And I thought to myself, in my personal vehicle, I tried to remember in, you know, (laughs) 40 plus years of driving, how many flat tires I've had. And I can't think of one. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I know I must have had a flat tire sometime in my life, but I can't think of when. So it's so rare. Not often. And and all I have to do is pick up the phone and somebody's going to bring me out a tire and put it on anyway. Why would I waste all? Why would I have this giant contraption on the back of my vehicle that I got to move out of the way all the time to have a spare tire with me? I thought about how stupid that was. You know, now I, I, I now that you say that, I don't know that I've, like you said, I must have changed the tire or maybe it was just in driver ed school I and know, I haven't I, done it since or <laughs> when my dad wanted me to do it, you know, type right. of thing, you know, for, for training purposes, but I, I can't, I can't remember ever doing it on the side now, of the road truck right. tires. I remember, you know, truck tires. Yes. I re, you know, like everybody, you know, I said, well, gee, look at the cost of a recap versus a virgin tire. Okay, well, you know, I, I went with my own casings like you've, you know, talked about. But I have a, had 100% of recaps fail at one point or another. So I said, I will never do it because by the time I have to pay the $300 for the road call, you know, get the tire serviced, the four or longer hours sitting on the side of the road, yeah, I just said, you know what, the customer service aspect of it, all of those things, and, and this is, again, looking at your profit, yep. you have to look at things beyond just the immediate. And for me and my operation at the time, it did not make financial sense for me to do recaps. I'd rather pay more and have the reliability and not have the subsequent cost down the road, no pun intended. So again, everybody's different. Um, If you're like my friend Rob Brackett hauling uh, agricultural products in the field, you know, it might make sense for his operation because his cost of recaps on his casings is a third the cost of a new tire. Yep. Um, I just looked at tires the other day, you know, X1, the wide base singles for what we want to do, you know, like 1476 bucks. So there, there could be in some operations, a recap might make sense. Hey, hey, it, Alec. It, but it can, might. Yeah. Can, can I get a commitment from you to join us more in the future? Um. I'll make a side deal. Keep Joel off and let him <laughs> let him keep doing his job. <laughs> there you go. He, he can be our roving reporter to check in once in a while from the road. No, I, I, I'm saying this because yeah. you, you bring a lot of really. You're bringing a lot of really good topics and conversation, and it's working well. and And I, I love having your perspective on here. And we're we're short on time already today. So I I just love to be able to get you, you know, and when I say commitment, I don't mean you have to tell me you can be on three times a month on the, all I mean is when you've got some time, if you could come join us, that'd be awesome. 
Of course. Okay. No worries. All right. Because we, we gotta, we've got some calls and I want to make sure we get to calls. Um, Henry and Alec, are you following me over to Twitter today? Got time? Um, I would if I knew how. Okay. I'll tell you how if I'm you want to try. try to um, the other thing I'll tell you is we have turned, we tried, I think, two weeks to, to do this particular segment on the Twitter space. And I didn't like it. It, it, it wasn't focused enough because we, we goof around a lot on that space, especially on Friday. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to move this segment back to the live show. And then because it's Friday, um, we'll just do two. I did an hour this morning. We're doing an hour now and then we'll go to Twitter. We'll have a little bit of fun. So if, anytime you guys want to come over and join me, here's all you have to do. Alec, do you have a Twitter account or no? No. Okay. But it, that's it, something I could offer. It, it would take you about two minutes. Larry Long did it yesterday. He didn't have one. We brought him on. You create the account. You log in, you go find me, which is easy to do. You click on follow, then there's notifications. You click on that. And then when I go live on the space, you'll get a notice. You click on the link and you're in there. It's just like a big conference call. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's really simple. So if you want to join us, that'd be wonderful. It is, it's more wide open. It's a lot of fun. We, we may get off on, you know, mm -hmm. who, know who knows what topic. Um, I can bring in 10 speakers all at once. So a lot of times we're talking over each other. And But but that's, uh, it's a different format and different things come out of it. I'm really enjoying mm -hmm. it. So we've got about 20 minutes left. I want to get to the calls we have. In fact, I should probably shut off the calls. Oh. Uh, Morgan already did it for me. Thank you, Morgan. Um, we'll get through these calls and then we'll move <laughs> over and then we'll look forward to having you back again as well. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. Let's, uh, let's grab some calls. Let's go to Terrence in South Carolina. Terrence, welcome. Oh, hold on. I got to hit the button. There we go. <laughs> What's up, Kev? How's it going? Good. Well, no, but just, I call basically about the car, the car, car carrying stuff. Uh, from before, so but I, that's how I actually got started hauling cars. But my uh, a buddy of mine that I worked for hauling frozen fish, he went over and was running three car around out of Port Newark, and that all that um, small cars they were based on was volume. So they were able to do like you said, seven or eight loads around local around Jersey, right around Port Newark, and they did like you know the, you know the towns around Jersey and all that. Sometimes they went over over the bridge and all that, but that's how they did it by volume. And I was getting ready to buy. I was. I already had a truck lined up. I was getting ready to get a trailer. And all of a sudden, the company, which I ended up going to work for, United Road, was like, we're not hiring anybody. We're not hiring any, any more uh, outside people. I was like, well, shit. So I went inside to the, to the office and said, hey, you hiring drivers. And he's like, oh, we don't have any trucks available. So he goes, well, we'll take your application. So I filled my app out. And I'm, you know, I'm going to go turn around. And the, the guy... Who was going to hug? He goes, oh, come, come on, come back in. And he's seen, you know, my work experience. I have my own truck and, and all that stuff. And he's like, uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll give you a call in like two weeks. And two weeks later, he called me and said, I got a truck for you. You know, come on in. But that, that, just that, that three car thing was crazy. They, anybody and everybody could get into it. They had, that's how that, they based that volume. And it was great for people to get into it. But there was a particular guy at that company that started with just like that. He had a towing company. He used to take like a three-car tow, tow truck, put three brand-new cars on it, and run them with that. He turned into being like their biggest... 
it, whatever you want, like own operator or whatever. Well, that's kind of an example of the one statement but, I made that there may be some local short haul operations where this might make sense and it might work. But it, when you get out on the highway and you start putting mile after mile after mile and oh, you've got five cars instead of, you know, 10 or nine or whatever, it, it, that I, it's hard to justify doing that. I mean, like I said, it. Oh, it, yeah. And yeah. then I talked about if you've got a plan, you just want to work your way up to that. That makes sense. But I get calls from these guys complaining that they can't make any money. And I try to tell them you're, you're not going to. You've got to change this operation. My example was, it's like trying to make money in the dry, dry van world pulling a pup around all day long. You couldn't do oh, it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, the best thing about this, too, is like we've had, we had drivers that worked out that, opened, that, you know, see, once they learned how to haul cars, they went and bought their own trucks. And then, I mean, we got one guy to work that he's down in Florida. He's got like 15, 50 of his own trucks now. Yeah. But the thing with that, too, that all, the, all those laws, a lot of those laws changed. Mark was talking about that. Now you're allowed to be even longer and all that. And that's right. where the money was. Because when I moved from the, I moved from New Jersey out to Wisconsin, I had to change uh, divisions. And when I, the division out here, they paid by the, by the percentage of the load. So particularly, like you were talking, you get a pickup truck. I was delivering up in Wisconsin. You get four pickup trucks and four, you know, let's say four escapes. That pays way more money than nine or nine or ten focuses. Right. You know, so it's like it was weird. And, and like the, the revenue in that is unbelievable. That's why, you know, you hear Paul talking about it. I mean, I, I would go back to it down here, but there's nothing local. I can't do, I can't, I can't go home every night. So, yeah, that's why I you know, hey, I'm going to cut you loose. We want to move along. I, when I was at FedEx in Orlando, um, we had a lot of, you know, multi-truck contractors down there and a bunch of them, for some reason, decided they wanted to get into car hauling. Now, they didn't get rid of any of their trucks at FedEx. They had them all there, but they all went out and bought car haulers and started hauling cars. It lasted about a year. And then all of them were back out of that business again. And I think they figured out that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of specialized knowledge. It takes experience to get to the, and for them, it was just way too much of a hassle to try to run an operation like that when it was the exact opposite of our FedEx operation. When I had my trucks at FedEx, there was no easier operation to run. Honestly, I put about 20 minutes a week into that contract. It ran itself. And that's not what's going to happen in the car hauling business. And I think they all learned that the hard way. Let's, uh, let's go to Virginia. Alex, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kev? I am a new listener. I've been listening for about a little bit over a week now. Oh, welcome. Uh, started listening to you because... Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I started listening to you because the guy that I work with, he's the owner of, you know, uh, told me to start listening to you because you're very knowledgeable in business. And um, I've been driving a truck for almost two years now, and I'm getting ready to buy a truck with some owner operator on fuel. Okay. Uh, so my question is, oh, uh, I don't know too much. You know, everybody has their own opinions on what type of truck to buy, what type of engine, what type of transmission um and for the last week all i've been hearing you know you got to spec the truck right you got to spec the truck right uh what do you suggest uh for hauling fuel and tankers? got it so a lot of fuel haulers that i know are very very local is that what you're going to be doing yeah i'm going to be running 
running anywhere from three to 400 miles uh, a day. Okay. So in my experience, and I worked with several fuel haulers in, uh, in and around the Orlando area, they were companies themselves, not individual owner operators. Um, the biggest thing the successful companies focus on in that segment, you got to build the lightest tractor you can possibly build. Weight, okay. weight of your equipment is important because you're paid by how much payload you can get on. You know, in van freight, we don't pay much attention to weight at all. It's not that big of a deal. We, uh, you know, saving a couple hundred pounds in a dry van operation is not going to do much of anything. Uh, and a lot of times you end up inconveniencing yourself or using components that aren't as strong as they should be. But in that operation, weight is critical. And a couple hundred pounds over a year can make a big difference in your revenue. So that's where you start to focus. Uh, go ahead, Henry. On, on those fuel haulers, to me, the, the liftable axles, that's a natural fit that gets rid of yes. 400 pounds. And you're usually one way empty. So it's like it's like it's almost tailor fit for that industry. Yeah. Now you say three to four hundred okay. miles. How often will you be back home every day? Every single day. Then I have a little bit of a struggle with this one. No, I don't really. Um, are you considering a day cab? <laughs> yes, uh, that's actually what I'm looking for. Okay. I'm not, um, you know, if, I, if there's a sleeper with a small like, coffin sleeper, I, I don't mind. I don't want a big sleeper or anything. Like yeah. One of the things we need to kind of balance here, and I wish I had better numbers about this, maybe... Um, Alec and Henry might have some thoughts about this. When I was specking trucks at FedEx, I had, you know, in the beginning, I, I was on the extra board. I might have some team runs. I had to have sleepers. Once I got some dedicated out and back runs and I had like 540 miles a day, I immediately thought, okay, the next truck I buy is going to be a day cab because it's going to be shorter and lighter. I should be able to improve my fuel economy. And I specced the best day cab I could possibly spec. Um, I was specking more new technology on that truck than the, all the sleepers I had. I fully expected that I was going to get better fuel economy and I didn't. I actually got worse. And I thought, what the hell did I screw up here? And I, I went through everything trying to figure out what I did wrong. And I, I really screwed up the aerodynamics. It is hard to get yep, good, but, clean aerodynamics in a very short tractor like that. On a tanker, you're not going to see that same kind of situation you do right. on that, though, right. Kevin. And it, that's a very so, good point. Well, I think I'd be leaning back to day cab on Because tanker. of the weight. Yep, exactly. That, that's where we were yep. going to go, and that was kind. Of, that's why I said I don't know, and then I thought, no, wait a minute, of course I know. It's the weight issue for you. I didn't have that. <laughs> it didn't make sense for yeah. me, so yeah. I went back to buying sleeper trucks because I could get better fuel, and it gave me more room, and, and there were other advantages. But the day cab thing didn't work out for me. I bought two of them and then never bought another one again. In your case, though, that weight savings far outweighs everything else. No pun intended. Okay. And uh, so my <laughs> other question is, you know, hey, I have hey, wait, a lot of hey, uh, Alex, hold on a second. Um, I'm going to bring Alec in now. Okay. Alec? 
Could you could you yeah. could you build well, him a good Volvo day cab, nice and light, and could we get away with the eleven liter on this one? Uh, yes, I believe so. I had a D11 uh, test truck several years ago, and it was fantastic. It's not the fastest truck in the world uh, climbing a hill. So to your point earlier, it, it, it's going to be kind of duty cycle specific. But uh, assuming that he's east of Kansas, um, I think an 11 liter is a, is a perfect choice. Lift axles, of course, um, on tractor and trailer, six by two, uh, because he's basically got a digital load. He's either loaded 100% or empty. So there are, there are some things that, uh, that could work. And you're absolutely right where Henry was talking about, you know, day cab by weight, but also a day cab's maximum height is about equal to a top of a tank. Right. So, uh, again, aerodynamics are the key, key there. You know, it's just going to be aerodynamically ugly to begin with. So it's not going to get, you know, yeah. 11 miles to the gallon, but he, uh, you know, no. Jamie has, has similar set, set up there. Excellent. You know, a Mac would be, be great as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know. Mac, uh, do, you, do you suggest an MP8 or the MP7? No. Uh, what what Kevin was saying is the 11 liter is the MP7 or the D11 on the Volvo site. Right. Hey, Alex, so, we got to take uh, this. Okay. That gotta, would be a, uh, we yeah. got to take a step back, though, Alex, for you. Um, what we're describing right now, um, we would be specking a brand new truck probably. Uh, finding something oh, like yeah. this on the used market might be almost impossible. And for startups, I never recommend brand new trucks. So as much as I'd love to spec yeah. that, that Volvo with an 11 liter and, and six by two, and it would be an incredible truck. It's just not the right truck for you. We, we just need to find you a good light um, day cab with the right specs. We could still be looking at um, Volvo potentially. We might be looking at um, a late 90s, early 2000 kind of trucks that we could pick up for 10 or 15,000 and then have some money to modify them if we want. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I am uh, looking right now at a couple of trucks. Uh, I'm looking at a T880 with Cummins X, uh, X5. Um, I'm also looking at a Mac with the MP8. But like I said, everybody okay. has their own opinion on yeah. what truck to buy. And, we, you know, so we, I'm just want to take it to the pros. Let me tell you the difference. I'm glad that you did. Um, the difference, everybody has their opinions. What we're talking about is just our opinions. But the difference is yep. um, if we take the myself, Alec, Henry, and Joel, um, I'm pretty sure we've, we will exceed 100 years of experience hyper-focused on fuel economy hyper-focused on fuel economy. Crazy amounts of tests. Alec and, and Joel run a company called Alpha Drivers, and that's the whole point of the company, is to push the boundaries of fuel economy and efficiency. I've been doing it. Uh, when I had my trucks, I tested constantly. Uh, Henry does it all the time, works directly with Freightliner. Um, so it, we, I'll tell you, all our stuff is just opinions too, but I think we have an awful lot of data and testing and experience. Uh, and my experience just isn't my own trucks. 
I do 15 to 20 hours a week on the radio and I have the experience of all of these other people as well. You know, we run groups on Facebook and social media just on fuel economy and we get all that feedback. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, Why don't we do this? Why don't you get started looking for trucks you think are good right now? And then once a week, if you want, or hell, I don't care, once a day, I'm on the air all the time. Call me back and say, here are two trucks I'm looking at. Which one would be better and why? And then we'll keep tweaking and working towards the right truck. How does that sound? Okay. That sounds perfect for me. Now, let me give you one piece of advice on looking for trucks. Do not look local. The idea of you driving around whatever town you happen to be in and finding the truck you want on a lot is, again, almost zero. When I shopped for trucks, and I, I bought a lot of trucks in my time, I shopped the whole country. I don't care if I was in Florida and I had to go to Montana to get a truck. That's where I was going. Okay. It just gives you a much, much bigger market to look at. So why don't you get started? Pick a couple trucks you think you're interested in. Call me and we'll compare them and then say, well, this is good, but this would be even better. Let's go look for this. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Kevin. Yeah. On the subject... And you know me, I don't, I didn't necessarily do things the way everybody else did. And I started out with a brand new truck, but I found a stripped brand new truck. You know, it wasn't a fancy brand new truck by yeah. any means. It wasn't yeah. my dream brand new truck. But in an operation like that, where you're looking for a specific truck, it, it could change that the weight of that decision a little bit. So let me, so I, I have helped a couple, yeah, I have helped a couple of people buy brand new trucks for their first truck on a startup, but it's pretty rare. And it almost always is somebody who is very financially stable anyway. They've got money, they've got savings, they have investments, they're, they're not, you know, nickel and diming everything. They're not trying to do this on a shoestring. Um, that's a, and, and they are willing to sit down and create a good business plan first. They don't just run out, get, borrow as much money as they possibly can, buy a brand new truck and then go out and and try to find freight. That's not going to work. But if somebody's financially stable, I remember when I did it, they're, they're willing to do a good plan. It it could work. I worked hard on my plan. I had a decent amount of savings, not a lot. It turned into a shoestring, but I made it work. But one of the advice that was given to me by a friend of mine that had grown to 89 trucks at the time, who also started out brand new, he said, you know, you're going to want to run and you're making a name for you and your customers at the beginning. And he said, you don't want something that's broke down all the time. He was the one that talked me into going new because I wanted to go use. But you know what? Weird how you can make different things work. Yeah. You know what my experience has been with all of my truck purchases? That I have more trouble with a brand new truck in the first six months I own it than almost any other truck I own. Trucks with a million five on them have fewer problems sometimes than the new. It took me like six months to work through all the issues half the time. Yep. Make sure your truck's the one that towed the bunch there. That gets a lot of the problem out. Yeah. Let's uh, let's grab our final call here, yeah, and then we're good. Go ahead, Alec. Yep. 
Well, I was just going to say, there are always going to be some initial break-in period, you know, the idiosyncrasies and things like that, that I don't know that I would, I mean, your point's valid, but uh, I think the newer trucks, those issues have become a whole lot less. I agree. And I um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank too heavily on that, but you know. Uh, some people's penchant for that is is greater than others. So, and here's another strategy yep. I've used, and this strategy led me to if I had to pick the best truck I ever bought, and that's not always easy, but for me it's fairly simple. It, it was a '92 Volvo with an 11 liter uh, direct drive 264 gears. Before I even understood any of that stuff, it was this truck that actually taught me a lot of this stuff. I bought that truck with 30,000 miles on it and I got probably a $40,000 discount over new Swift had bought these things. They were single axles, uh, sleepers because they had some contract in the Southwest somewhere where they were pulling doubles and they bought these trucks beautifully specced for pulling doubles, which is what I was doing. And then they lost the contract and they put things, these things up for sale. And I think they just wanted to get rid of them. And they're at, that's such a weird truck. There's not a big market for it. So I bought it for next to nothing. Well, really cheap for 30,000 miles on it. And it turned out to be one of the best trucks I had ever owned. So that idea of, if you can find the the right specs on the used market, a truck less than a year old is sometimes one of the best bargains out there. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. if you can find them. Yeah, it's and, got and some it depreciation. And you yeah. know, and and the guy with the tanker operation, he might want to look at truck paper, you know, as, yes. as a starting point as well. He'll get a feel for the pricing of the market and just do some comparisons. Great resource, yeah. Uh, Neil, welcome. Neil, are you there? You've been waiting an awful long time. Uh, hey, uh, Morgan, if I put Neil back into the queue, can you see if um, if we can get that fixed? If not, we're going to uh, move on to Twitter. But Neil was on hold a long time. I want to make sure we get him if we can. Um, oh, hey, I want to report this while we're waiting. Um, I didn't want to interrupt the show with this. And I don't normally get to do this often, but uh, I have breaking news um, now, I will tell you, this is not so far. I have not found this on on like a, a mainstream news source. I follow some independent journalists on Twitter, and I, I sometimes get some stuff before you see it anywhere else. Um, this may be the case or this may not be true. I don't know. I haven't verified it yet. Um, this is just from a couple minutes ago. A cyber attack is underway, causing major disruptions to hospitals and healthcare across several states. Emergency rooms are closed, ambulances are being diverted, and many primary care services remain closed. The attacker has not yet come forward. But this comes just days after it was revealed that the Chinese government backed hackers have been creating backdoors in the U.S. In, in the critical U.S. infrastructure and government systems over the past couple of years. Uh, so keep an eye out. I, I like I said, it's an independent reporter. I haven't had it verified yet, but uh, that's a pretty big story. Here's what truck drivers should be most concerned about. 
we should all be concerned and we should all be prepared for stuff like this. But imagine if you're a truck driver and you operate like I did, you didn't carry a lot of cash. I would never do that again. Um, but back then I didn't carry cash. Well, why would I bother? I got credit cards. Um, if the infrastructure goes down, you're screwed. If you don't have cash and you're in an area where something like this happens and they take down the banking systems, which is a big target for China, Iran, uh, North Korea, there's a bunch of players out there that that are working on disrupting these kinds of things in our country. You should be prepared. You, you could be 2000 miles away from home and broke. So have some food, have some water, have some cash, have a plan. Um, this could also disrupt communications. So you can't get a hold of people at home. You might want to think of some sort of a solution for that, whatever it might be. Uh, but I thought I'd thought I'd get that out there because that uh, that could possibly turn into a pretty big story. Uh, Alec, we are. No, no, we um, we must have lost Alex or Neil. I'm sorry. Uh, we weren't able to get him. So we lost the call. Uh, Alec, Henry, anything you guys want to close with before we head over to Twitter? Uh, for my part, uh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be with you again. And Henry, good yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Great having you, Alec. We look forward to more of it in the future. I think you brought a lot of uh, great content to us today. Same with you as always, Henry. And uh, we will see everybody in, let's call it 15 minutes. I'm going to set up the Twitter space for 1020. We'll get started. Uh, 1020 Pacific time, obviously. We will see you there. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.